I'd like you to open your Bible to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. Hebrews, chapter 11. Normally, if it's a preacher saying, turn to that, well, he's going to talk about faith. Now, that's what the normal reasoning would be if you've been around a church like this long, and that's true. That's what we're going to do tonight. So we're going to stay right on schedule. You thought I was going to do something else. I want to talk tonight on this subject, the faith formula. The faith formula. Now, I've given a lot of thought to what I'm going to say tonight. In fact, I've had this message in the cooker for a couple of years, maybe three or four years. And every now and then you get it out and look at notes and so forth, and you come across this, and, and I keep wanting to make sure and look at it and add some things to it and put it back there. And later on, you look at it again, and sometimes it just, God said, this is it. And so I want to talk tonight about the faith formula. Now, Hebrews eleven six as a text, and I'm sure, I would, at least I'd hope you are very familiar with Hebrews eleven six, but it says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. We must believe that. We must believe that he is. I guess everybody that attends a church regularly would agree that God is, that there is a God and that the Bible is true and all of that. They believe all of that. They say they do. But you won't find very many of those people, and I don't mean this as an insult, but most of those good people in most of those places really don't believe that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, except that God will reward his people with eventual salvation in a life to come, but not necessarily in the life we're living now. A lot of people know that he could, and they know that he has. The Bible speaks of a lot of people that have been blessed, and it seems the reason that they were blessed is because they believed. And yet a lot of folks today in church say, well, I believe, but you know, I've never been blessed. And yet if you ask a person today, well, do you have faith? And I guess in my experience, through the years with all kinds of different people and all kinds of different churches and denominations, I think just about all of them would say, well, of course I believe. Yes, I have faith in God. I believe God. I have faith in his word. I have faith in him. And yet they will, and I don't mean this wrong either, but they will complain about what they don't have. They'll complain about what they can't do. And while they may quote the Bible accurately, they will also say at the same time, but I don't understand why it doesn't work for me, but I have faith. Now you read in the Bible when faith was present in any situation, there was power there in that situation and things happened and God was glorified. So there's something wrong with folks who say, I have faith. I am sure that the Bible is true. I'm sure that God really does exist and then turn around and with the other side of their mouth tell you all the things that they don't have, they don't think will work, never has worked. I've never seen it. I'm not sure it'll be for today. And they say everything different than what God says, which to me says you really don't believe what he said in the first place. But if you tell somebody they don't believe, you're in a war. Because you see, faith is a controversy. The word faith is never a controversy in any church until you teach on it. It is never an issue. It is never a problem. Now, I know real well what I'm talking about. 
because I've been places where they've never heard anything, and then I taught on it, and about got run off. Simply because you begin to explain to them that this is what faith does, and this is how you can know you have it. And if you say you have it, but this is not present, then you don't have faith. Well, you might as well spit on a new carpet. People don't want that to be true. If you just don't teach on some subjects in the Bible, you'd have a good following. Just leave some certain subjects alone. Don't talk about holidays. Don't talk about the permanency of marriage. Don't talk about staying out of politics. Don't talk about faith. Don't talk about God as your healer. If you leave those things alone and talk about all the other things in there, you never have a problem, there's no controversy. You can avoid a lot of issues, a lot of debates and so forth. But the fact of the matter is, you can't read very far in the New Testament without seeing the emphasis that Jesus himself puts on faith or a lack of it. How many times, well, I'll tell you, four times it was Jesus who said to his disciples, he said, oh, you have little faith. The word little faith means small, tiny faith. There seems to be a trace of evidence there. Under the CSI's magnifying glass, there could be some evidence of a little bit of faith. If we can just zoom in a little closer and magnify, there's a little speck of faith in here. Jesus upbraided his disciples for it. He upbraided them for not having faith because they were afraid. Oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? Why are you fearful? He told his disciples when they woke him up in Mark 4, verse 40, in the back of the boat. Remember the story? He stilled the sea. And then he said to his disciples, he said, how is it that you have no faith? How is it that you have no faith? See, that makes us quiet because we think if we'd been in that boat, we'd have probably woke him up too. And he would have said to us, because God is no respecter of persons. He said, how is it that you've been in this Christian walk for all these years, and at this point in your life, after 20 years of listening to this, you have no faith? Why is it? And yet you will argue and you'll fight or leave a church or get all upset if somebody says, you say you have faith, but you don't have faith. You can spell the word, you know what it's about, and you've heard about it a lot, but you don't have it. Oh, boy. But he that cometh to God must believe that he is. You must believe that he is a rewarder of those that seek him. Remember the one time he said, oh, faithless and perverse generation, they couldn't cast a demon out of a boy? And he said, bring him to me. When he got through, he said to his disciples, his followers, that would be us. He said, oh, faithless and perverse generation. How many of you know that's not a compliment? Let's praise God for being perverse tonight. No, that was a put down. He said, oh, faithless and perverse generation. He said, how long am I going to be with you? I guess maybe they thought, just take him to Jesus. We don't know what to do with him, but Jesus can fail. Call the pastor. He says, oh, faithless and perverse generation. He said, how long am I going to be with you? Matthew 21, verse 22, Jesus said, if you have faith and doubt not. He doesn't assume that you have faith because you're, you're in church. He says, if you have faith and you doubt not. He said to Peter, he said, the devil is gonna sift you like wheat. Remember what his prayer was for him? He said, 
my prayer for you is that your faith fail not. It's not automatic. It doesn't just come to you because you attend a meeting. It doesn't come to you because you memorize scripture, because you pray, or because you read a lot, or because you're active and involved, or help people out and do a lot of community good. That doesn't mean you have faith. You may be able to quote the Bible, some people do. And they're really troubled, but if you said, well, that doesn't mean you have faith. That means you can memorize the Bible. It means you can pray. It means you can make decisions to go place. In other words, you by choice and by effort of decision, you can do a lot of things, but that doesn't mean you have faith in God. It means you're doing something. If you're counting on doing things to get you saved, then you're in bad shape because you can't do anything to be saved. You know, there's nothing you can do to get yourself in heaven. Only Jesus can bring you there. But remember, it was Jesus who implied that not all men have faith. It was James who said, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask God, who giveth, because he's a rewarder, who giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. But he said, but let them ask in faith without wavering. Then he goes on to say, if you're like those people who ask, you pray about something, but you're never really sure it's going to work, or you lack confidence in the certainty of the thing coming to pass that you pray for. Jesus said, let not that man think that he shall receive anything from God because God holds us to that. Now, it's when you teach on things like that that people get upset because somehow your heart begins to stir on the inside of you and you begin to realize, because it's the Spirit of God who does this convicting work. The Spirit of God begins to show you that, you know, that what you're hearing is true and you don't do that. What you hear is true, but you're unwilling to do that. You're afraid of what people will say about you if you start living that way or make choices, the right kind of choices. And you know they're going to talk about you because you've been talking about them somewhere in your past or you've heard people talk about those crazy people. And if you do those things, they'll talk about you too. So it's a lack of faith because of fear, lack of faith for a lot of reasons. Jesus rebuked his disciples once for talking about not having bread to eat. And these are not the words that Jesus used. I would put them in my word. I say, what are you talking about? Don't y'all remember what happened when we fed all those thousands of people the other day and we had all these baskets full left over? Didn't you see the miracle? Didn't you see what God did? How in the world then, seeing the way it's supposed to be, how could you be concerned about food? Oh, you have little faith about your bills getting paid, about your body, your health, all the things that people worry about. It's Jesus who would say, have you never heard my word? Have you never considered that I have promised to take care of you and do all of this for you? How is it then that you have no faith? Why are you worrying about things that I died on the cross so you can have legally? Why would you fret? Or did he say this in Matthew 6 about people who worry? Six times he said, take no thought. Take no thought. Why are you worrying about the economy? Why are you worrying about, and it's, this is going to happen. The world is coming apart. It's confused. There's a bewilderment. There are agents, we call them demons, spirits, loosed on this earth. 
hideous things, bringing all kinds of problems. You'll see it. Now, the Lord's coming somewhere in the middle of all this, but you're going to see it. But Jesus says, why would you worry about it? Why would you be so concerned about it? Why would you fear for your life? Is not your life worth more than sparrows, birds, and are you not worth more than anything else? Hasn't your Heavenly Father said He would take care of you? Then why would you worry about it? Why would you be so concerned about your life when it's not even yours? It doesn't even belong to you. I bought you. You belong to me. Let me take care of that. And yet instead of us finding peace and confidence in it, and I say we, I'm talking about the church. Instead of us having peace and confidence in the surety of all of that, well, there's just this struggle with faith. There's no subject in the Bible like faith. There's nothing in the scripture like that. The Bible calls faith a law, a spirit, a fruit, a work, a gift, a shield. It's even referred to as a door, the door of faith in the book of Acts. I can't think of another subject in the Bible that's all of that. How many times does the Bible speak about faith? Like, by faith we live, we walk. He said, by faith we receive from God, by faith we're justified, by faith we're sanctified, by faith we overcome, by faith we're purified. The references in your Bible to faith, its role, its intended place and role in your life are so evident that you can't read the Bible without seeing it. And if you read with a clean heart, you'll let conviction come. We all should. We should be convicted about things. But again, having convictions about things you're not doing that you're troubled with, that doesn't mean you have faith. It means that something is happening that you could turn around. You could trust God and then things could change for you, but that doesn't mean that they will. Most of all, by faith we're saved. Ephesians 2, 6, for by grace through faith are you saved. And that not of yourself, it's a gift of God. So the subject of faith in the Bible, especially in the New Testament for the church, is overwhelming. It is such a necessary thing that our Lord said, that's the spirit of prophecy is from our Lord. He said, without faith, in our text, without faith you can't please him. That means that you can do all the building programs, you can do all the things that people deem so significant in religion and yet not please God. You can't build him something with a faithless heart that impresses God. You can't build God anything where there's no room for him to manifest himself in that place. He has nothing to do with it. It's all vanity. And yet those are fighting words because people really praise the work of their hands today. And yet Jesus is looking for one thing when he comes back. Remember Luke 18, 8? When the Son of Man returns, will he find faith? Will he find faith? Turn to Hebrews 11, 1. I believe as a pastor, as a preacher, as a teacher, as a brother, and as a man, as a Christian, that everybody should have a basic, fundamental understanding of Hebrews 11, 1 because... This is the only verse in the Bible that faith is defined by the Lord. The Bible says faith is the substance. Faith is the substance of things in the future. 
Faith is always about something in the future. I don't have faith as pulpits right here. Why? Because I can see this pulpit in my senses, but with my touch and with my sight and with my hearing, and I ain't about to kiss it or lick it, but I can tell you by my natural senses that this pulpit is here. I do not have to believe it's here. So faith has nothing to do with things that are visible to my senses. It has to do with things that are not seen or things hoped for here. Put your finger right there in verse 1 and look in Hebrews 3 and look at verse 14. And when you get to verse 14, see if the word confidence is in that verse. Is the word confidence in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 14? Is it used in a vital sense? Does the word confidence there have anything to do with something we must do? Does it have anything to do with the salvation? Well, you read it now. I'm trying to put the pressure on all of us tonight. Hebrews 3 and verse 14 talks about something we're to hold on to. He said, for we are made partakers of Christ if what? If we hold fast the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. Does that mean you have to hold on to that until it's over? Could I say this? You have to have confidence until your dying days. And don't let go of it in your dying days. Hold it all the way to the grave. The word confidence there that you see in verse 14 is the same word as translated substance. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. And it could be faith is the confidence of things hoped for. Think of it like this. Faith is something that underlies visible realities, but guarantees future possession. You understand that? One translator in one version of the Bible uses the word title deed to describe faith. It's like if you went to the courthouse and you bought a piece of land and you paid the former landowner a certain price for that land and the courthouse would write down on here, this land is now deeded to, and it puts your name on it and handed you that piece of paper. Is that piece of paper a piece of land? Actually, it's just a piece of paper, isn't it? What makes a piece of paper meaningful is that it's legal and it's a document approved of by the state system. Therefore, by law, this paper is the same thing as a piece of land. It's yours. It doesn't mean you can see the land yet. You can't really touch it and feel it. But this is the guarantee of future possession. If you have this, nobody else can have the land. They have to buy it from you or the government may want it and take it. But the only way they can get it is by you giving up this document. Now, the Bible says your faith is like that. Your faith is something you have. Not wish you had, not hope you've got, not trying to get, but something you have. And this faith is like a deed to whatever you hope for. Hope means expect. And so whatever it is that you are confident that is going to happen in your life, you are sure that God is going to do it. That's called substance. And that's what faith is made of. Faith is the surety. The confidence, the inward certainty that what God has promised you have. He didn't say he could see it because he goes on to say faith is the evidence of what? Things not seen. 
And most people, that's where they have their problem. They say, how can you say you're healed when it's obvious that you're not healed because you've got this sound or this limp or this whatever it is they can see that's not normal. They walk by sight. They believe you're healed if they can see healed. They can't take God at his word. They've been in church their whole life and they can't just take God at his word that if God said it, it is so. That doesn't mean I have faith unless I act like that's true. But when I have it in my heart, faith is the evidence. That's what convicts people, puts people in jail, the evidence of the crime. Evidence of things not seen. There's a verse in 2 Timothy 3.16, the word of God does several things. The word is profitable for doctrine, for reproof. The word reproof is the word evidence. When a sinner hears this word, it is God who makes it clear to him. And his heart says it is so. There's a certainty about that. It's for sure. And the word of God is designed to do all of that, to bring things to light. And to show you the way it ought to be. Faith in God, when it's real and when it's biblical, causes you to take God at his word and count on him to do what he said. I haven't seen it. I don't feel it. My physical senses cannot relate to this thing. It's all faith. My body doesn't feel any better since I prayed the prayer of faith. I still have some battles with my mind. The devil doesn't let up on his attack in the pain areas or the swelling areas or money areas, whatever the area is. But when you have faith, you have something in your heart that renders you peaceful. I'm sure, I am settled, I am steadfast that what God has said, God will do it. In Hebrews 11, in that book you're holding there, the word faith is used 22 times. I'd say God is putting emphasis on it. Look for just an example about Sarah and Abraham. Verse 11, verse Sarah. Through faith, Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed. Now, wait a minute. Didn't God say she was going to bear a child? Does she have anything to do with that? God made a promise. He said, Sarah, you're going to bear a child past the normal childbearing years. Now, that's what God said. Does that mean it's just going to happen or does she have anything to do with it? Now, remember, your Bible is full of thousands of promises that you have heard that haven't happened. He made her one. Now, what does it say that she did? Look at verse 11 again. She received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because, at the end of this verse, she judged him faithful who had promised. She made a decision, didn't she? She chose, and we all can do this if we're Christians, she chose to take God at his word. If he said it, I'm confident that he's going to do it. In fact, I am convinced that he's going to do it. And therefore, like Abraham in Romans 4, he was fully persuaded. What's fully persuaded mean? Hoping so? No. His connection with God, his relationship to God was such that when God spoke plainly to him, there was no question that it wouldn't happen. It absolutely will happen. Even if it happens 25 years later. It's not even an issue. In fact, it's not even a matter of prayer. I have accepted as true what God has said. 
I am counting on what God has said because I believe it's true. I don't have to ask him to do it anymore. I don't have to pray about it ever again. Why would you pray about something you already have? Why would you be so concerned that you pray your labor in prayer for something your heart already says is sure? Well, you wouldn't. You'd thank him. You'd give a lot of thanks. You'd praise God a lot, and you're praising God for something you don't see because you know it's going to work. Truth of it is, not many people really do have faith. And yet everybody can say the word, everybody can talk about it, and everybody can say amen whenever you talk about it. But in actual practice and in revelation that you see in people, you don't see a lot of it. We're so tuned into the things that bring fear and uncertainty that most Christians are unsettled about the things of God. Faith comes by hearing. If you want to get the faith we're talking about, the Bible says it comes, it comes by hearing. And it comes by hearing what God says. Now, I know you know that. But people are trying to have faith because it worked for somebody else. Or people want faith because somebody else said they had faith. They tried this and it worked. But you have faith because you've heard from God. This is what Paul said in Romans chapter 2 and verse 13. He said, for not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. So faith is an action. Faith is not a passive listening and hearing what God said and mentally assenting to the truth of it. But faith quickens your will to do it, to do what the Bible said. If there's nothing you can do, then you say it. You confess it. You talk like it's true. Your words honor God. They don't doubt God. They don't challenge God. They're not putting, they're not, man, I don't know why. They don't do that. Your words glorify God. You agree with God. You say what God says. That's what confess means. And when you do that, you honor the Lord. And remember James 1, be doers of the word and not just hearers only. Now, that being said, let's talk about the formula. I'm going to say this before I give you a formula. This will work. And all of you that struggle with anything, I don't care what it is, whatever it is that you wrestle with or you're having the most trouble with, I'm going to give you a formula so you can use and determine whether you have faith or not. Maybe how to get it. And it works like this. Faith starts with W. And W stands for the word. Let me put a little... I'm not a mathematician, but I've seen them fancy calculations that got little symbols and signs all over there. You take the word W, because that's where you start. If you don't know what the Bible says, you have no basis for something for God to do. What God does, he's going to do according to his word. This is the way it works. God begins with his word. You must also... That's where he rests his case. Now, there's two things about his word that has to happen. First of all, you have to be convinced that what God says in his word settles all arguments. It's the final authority, in other words. That what God says is final authority. And secondly, you must believe that the word that you're holding is divine. It's not mostly what God said. It doesn't contain the word of God. It is the word of God. You can't question that. 
You might put your life, your health, maybe whether you live or die. Just because the Bible says something, there are people who say, well, I'm going to stay with that. You better be convinced that that is exactly what God said, and you're sure that man didn't write that, that God did. Because God ain't going to honor what man said, but he will watch over his word to perform it. So, word plus, what's S stand for? Spirit, that's right. The word plus the spirit equals what? Nope. Revelation. Let's use just the R, okay? Doesn't that look good? The word plus the spirit of God equals revelation from God. How else could you get it? Now follow me in a couple of verses. Look in Matthew 11 and Matthew 16. Just quickly turn to two chapters, Matthew 11 and Matthew 16, concerning what the Spirit of God does in relation to the Word of God. Matthew 11 and verse 25. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and has done what? Reveal them to babes. Let me ask you a question, because listen, this is a vital truth. It really is. At least it's been in my life, because I've put a whole lot of time in this formula. I really have. Can the Word of God be revealed to me? Can the truth and the meaning, the perception of the Word of God come to me any way other than by the Holy Spirit? In other words, can I, by serious academic effort, understand and perceive the meaning of the Word? Because if I can, I don't need the Spirit of God, because I'm smarter than most people. But nobody is. So the fact of the matter is, if the Holy Spirit is not the one who is interpreting this Word to us, then we're off base. Because you see, the word without the Spirit of God is opinion. It's somebody's philosophy or idea. Everybody has an opinion, but very few people have that activity of the Holy Spirit where your eyes are opened. Look in chapter 16. Chapter 16 and verse 17. Jesus answered and said... Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed, that's man, flesh and blood has not revealed this unto thee, but whom? What did he reveal to him? He revealed to him who Jesus was. Would you agree with me? There were far more people who did not agree that he was who he said he was than those who knew he was what he said he was. How did Peter know he was who he said he was? It's a revelation. It had to be something God did to Peter in order for Peter to know what God was saying. Ephesians 1. Head over there to the book of Ephesians. A great place to stop off. If you're hungry, that's a good place to get you a morsel of food. Look at verse 17. Ephesians 1 and verse 17. We quote this, what, once a week? He said, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you. Who does the giving? 
It is the Father, doesn't it? It is the Father who opened the eyes of Simon Barjonas. He said, flesh and blood didn't show you who I am. You didn't just say, man, anybody that does all the things you do must be the real deal. Thousands of people saw him do things and didn't know who he was, but Peter did. Because God opened his eyes to see. I thank thee, Father, you've hidden these things in the wise and prudent, and you've revealed these things to me because only God can reveal the truth. I think it says this, that the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit because they're spiritually discerned. That unless the Spirit of God shows it to you, you cannot discern it or see it, perceive it. He says, I pray here that God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, will give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. In the 18th verse, he says, the eyes of your understanding, it's really a word for heart. It could be either one, because that's where you understand, with your heart. The place of perception, the spiritual perception is what is called the heart, the innermost being, where the Holy Spirit dwells. Out of your innermost being shall flow and so forth. In John 14, didn't Jesus say concerning the Holy Spirit that when he comes, he will guide you into all truth? How could you know the truth if he didn't bring it to you? If we think we can learn anything without being anointed, without hearing a word that God has given us, we're all deceived. We can't know anything the way we're supposed to know it unless God shows it to us. And a lot of people really don't see it because their life is a testimony to blindness. I don't mean that ugly. I know that when judgment comes on this earth and it begins in the house of God, a whole lot of people are going to really wish they had paid attention, wish they had been there, wish they had done something about the things they heard, but they took it for granted and they just assumed that they have faith. And their concept of God is, that's good enough. You know, I mean, after all, I go to church a lot. And their life is not evidence of somebody living like everything God said is true, and I can count on him because he showed it to me. Because if he doesn't show it to you, you don't really know what you're doing. That's why folks are not sure, because they haven't seen it. Oh, they've read it. I mean, they have eyes to see the text. They can read what the Bible says here, but it's not working for them. Look over two books to the right in Colossians chapter 1. Look at verse 9. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, cease not to pray for you, that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and what? How else could we understand it? Have any of you, I don't know if you have, I hope you have, have you ever tried to explain the Bible to somebody who can't understand it? What do you mean they can't understand? I mean they can't understand it. You're saying the right words, they can't understand it. Didn't Jesus said, why do you not hear my word? Because you can't understand it. You don't want to listen to something that doesn't make sense. I mean, you hear things about the Lord, and if that's not the way you wanted to hear it, you sort of kick it out. Then you become a debater and an unbeliever, and you fight it and all that kind of stuff. But fact of the matter is, when God shows you something, and you begin to see it, it changes the whole direction of your life. You get quiet. You start thinking. Suddenly, all these activities, you're so 
concerned about tomorrow and today and next week and, and your future and your boy and your girlfriend or your children, all the things that you think are so important, suddenly they begin to pale when God reveals it. When that heavenly light begins to shine on wayward, indifferent Christians, boy, it puts you in a mode of, oh God. I think the Bible says somewhere you work out your salvation with joy and rejoicing. Fear and trembling. Why? Because it's not easy. It's easy to be dislodged or moved off course. We shouldn't be. We don't have to be. But there's a real devil in this world. No wonder Jesus said, I pray that your faith doesn't fail because that's the only thing that will win the battles of your life. That's the only way you can overcome. The victory that overcomes the world is even not your preacher's faith, not your mama's, your daddy's, or anybody. It's your faith. You better make sure you have it because the darkness that is coming that's already here in America. You remember Jesus said, work while there's light for darkness is coming? It's coming now. I mean, daylight is giving way to darkness spiritually. And he says here, Paul says, I pray for you folks in verse 9 of Colossians 1. He said, I pray for you that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's why that people who have had their eyes open and see things spiritually, they don't forget it. You don't cast it aside and labor in a worldly way and not enjoy the Lord. When God opens your eyes to see things, you see things. And he shows you things and you begin to rejoice in things because that's what God does. Having a revelation of Jesus doesn't mean you have faith. It doesn't say in my formula, the word plus the spirit equals faith. It just means when the Holy Spirit opens your eyes and you see things, you're now aware of it. You can't deny this. Something from heaven is revealed to you. He that knoweth to do good, does the Bible say that? He that knoweth to do good, knoweth to do good because a good God has revealed a good thing to him. Now, whether or not you're willing to do it, that's another matter because when you get down here, this is phase one. Phase two, the second part of this equation is revelation plus, what are we going to add here? This is absolute. How do you like that? Revelation that you have plus your will equals faith. What is faith? Well, it's more than a revelation. It's more than memorizing the Bible or quoting the Bible. It's more than a street witnessing. It's more than passing out tracts. But you got a revelation from God? God shows things in his word to all of us. But the question is, whether or not it becomes faith, is will you be willing as an act, a choice you make to do what he said? See, my will implies action. I'm willing. I'm willing to do what God said. And if I'm willing to do what God said, you know what God said he would do. He said that he would bring it to pass. Again, it's one thing for us to hear. It's one thing for all of you here to say, yeah, I heard what he said. I heard what the Bible says. I read my Bible. 
I go to church, I pray, good, 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 good. Those are noble things, you should do all that. Those are parts and pieces of the Christian life. But it has no meaning until you're willing to do what God has shown you. If God has shown the old man what is good, does he not require something from you? If God has opened your eyes to see the truth, does he not require you to engage the truth with your life? God is not here to entertain us with marvelous revelations of his word so we can say, well, look what I see. Oh, man, I saw. It does thrill your heart, but what's the purpose of revelation? It's to see more clearly the Lord who wants you to walk in his steps. Follow him. You take this revelation and it becomes a glorious revelation when you take your will and you embrace it and you say, I will count on God to do what he said, I am willing. And from this point on, as long as you hold fast, it's faith. A lot of people let go of their faith for what reason, I don't know. But this is what he wants. Turn to Acts 27 and verse 25. Acts 27 and verse 25. Wherefore, sirs, I believe God. I believe is because I see. I believe something that I've seen. Something has been shown me. And it was shown me in such a way and at such a time that I accept it, I embrace it, and I'm sure of it. I am confident and convinced of this being the truth. That not only has God said it, but that God will do it. And therefore, I'm counting on him to do it. If like Abraham, for 25 years I wait, then God may grace abundantly flow my way that I never waver in this. That I always say, it'll be so. God will do it. God will do it. He'll save your loved one. He'll save. He'll bring. He'll heal. He'll fix. He'll bring it to pass. Whatever it is. Let me read it now. Are you there? Verse 25. Wherefore, sirs, I believe God. Believe God for what? That it shall be even as it was told me. Would you say that what was told him is a revelation? Do you think that the words I believe are choices he made? Therefore, he was settled and steadfast. He was not wavering in this thing. The boat was crashing, the wind was howling, and people were losing what we'd call today thousands of dollars in cargo. People were terrified. The waves were throwing us in. The rocks were all going to be dashed to pieces. And Paul said, there stood an angel by me this night and told me that the loss of the ship will certainly come to pass, but all of us will be spared. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer. I believe God. Did you know that Paul's faith was enough to embrace the safety of the whole ship, a bunch of unsaved people. That one man's faith spared unbelievers, heathens. One man believed, I wonder what we could do. With our families, with our troubles that we see and problems that confront us, do you realize that when God gives you a revelation of something, somebody will say, oh, you can't believe that. I can believe whatever he shows me. Now it'll be verified by the word. And when he shows it to me, I set my face like flint towards heaven. And I refuse to be talked out of it, turn to the left or to the right, be called a fool, an idiot, and dumb, and everything else. But I will hold on to what God said, because he that promised is faithful. 
And he cannot deny himself. He cannot say, I will do it, and then not do it, because he said he would do it. All of his promises are yes, and in him, Jesus Christ, amen. He doesn't say no to his promises. He doesn't say, well, I said I would, but no, I'm not going to do it for you. He says yes and amen to all of his promises. 2 Corinthians 1.20. Now, while you're there, look at Mark 11. Somewhere down in... Oh, verse 22. Let's see if we can get our formula out of Mark 11. You can apply this to your own life. I don't care if you're five years old or 500 years old. Boy, you're a well-preserved soul if any of you are 500 old. The disciples saw the fig tree that he had cursed, had withered, and they said, Lord, behold, the fig tree was thou cursed. And Jesus said, have faith in God. Verse 22, have faith in God. This is what he referred to. They went, wow, look at the tree. He said, have faith in God. For whosoever shall say to this mountain, be thou taken up and cast into the sea and so forth, and he shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe those things he saith. What does it say he shall have? He shall have whatsoever he saith. For verily I say unto you, what things? Verse 24. I love verse 24 been loving it for over 40 years. What things soever you desire. Obviously implying they have to be in the boundaries of the Word of God. You can't dream up things because we're accused of this by those who think we're all off base. We're accused of just dreaming up things to believe for and then somehow holding God to doing what we think He ought to do. I've never taught that. God gave us his word as a declaration of what he's willing to do. And all we do is stand on it. And there is not an area of our life, there's not a situation or a condition that we can ever find ourselves in in this life that there isn't a word in that Bible to meet it. There's nothing in there that doesn't take care of it. Every situation you can find yourself in is in this book. Whether that revelation has come to you or you have sought it is another story. Some people are willing to live with pains and problems. Some people said, I want to know if there's anything in the Bible about me being well and healthy. Or my needs being met or all my kids being saved. Is there anything in there about that or do I just hope it's true and I pray, oh God, will you please somehow? No, that won't work. You can have an all-night prayer meeting and yell at God all night long. That doesn't work. What works is you find out first what he said. You find out first what he said, and it's got to be a revelation that you're convinced of. Because some people quote the Bible and hope, God, you said in your word. Lord, you said in your word. Please do it. No, that ain't faith. Faith is confidence that what God has promised, he will do. Jesus said in verse 24, what things ever you desire when you pray what? Believe what? Believe that you received them. As most of you know, the word received is a past tense word. It means believe that you have received. It doesn't mean you're trying to get it. It doesn't mean you're trying to talk God into doing it for you. It doesn't say that. Your prayer begins with the certainty that what he has promised, he has promised to you. 
If it doesn't begin there, the revelation of the truth of this word isn't lodged in your heart yet. You can read the Bible and you hope it works, but you're not sure it'll work because it's not a sure thing. Because when it's a sure thing, it only means that you say, Father, and I receive that word, and I trust in you and count on you to do it, that it shall be even as it was told me. I don't care what anybody says or what anybody thinks. God has spoken to me. I went to church. I heard the word. I remember this very thing happened like this many years ago. I heard things I'd never heard like that before. I'd get a tape in the mail that said things like I said to you a while ago. Praying isn't faith. Memorizing the Bible is not faith. And all the things, all the activities that people do that they call faith isn't necessarily faith. It's not faith until you're willing to live it. You've got to be willing to do what he said. It's not faith until you do. Good intentions, perhaps. Passionate about it, perhaps. But it's only faith when you're willing. Anybody can lay in bed and quote the Bible. It's when you believe you're healed, you get up. You get up because you believe you're healed. Your body says you're not healed, but Jesus didn't say when you pray you'd feel better. He said when you pray, believe, didn't he? That's why many years ago we threw all of our pills out. Why do we need pills if we're healed? If I was healed at the cross, why do I need that stuff? And I tell people, you can't base your faith on what I just said. I'm telling you what I did because when God spoke it to me, it was intense. It was a moment of, uh, I got to hear this again. And when I approached God with a hunger, I want to really know what that means. I don't want to get off base here, that he made it clear. It became like a light came on. I thought, man, it's true. If that's true, what do I need this other stuff for? Well, I really don't if I believe what God said. Now, if he said by the stripes of Jesus I was healed, I am. I'm not trying to get healed. I'm not hoping I'll get healed. I am healed. I don't feel healed. I don't sound healed. I don't look healed. But I am healed. Why am I? Because he said I am, and I believe it. He showed it to me. It's clear to me. But all that stuff bothers me. Well, it should bother you if you don't perceive what he's saying. If you don't have a revelation of his word, it should bother you. John 7 and verse 17. If any man will do his will. People say, well, you know, I hear all that, but I, I mean, how do you know? Listen to this. If any man will do his will, and actually the Greek says, if any man is willing, if any man is willing to do his will, he shall know the teaching, called doctrine here. He shall know the teaching, whether Jesus said it or whether he just made it up, whether it's of God or man. How can you tell if you're willing to do what it said? Let me give you a couple other translations of that same verse. The reverse standard version says it like this. It's just one version. If any man's will is to do his will, he shall know whether the teaching is from God or whether Jesus said, I'm speaking by my own authority. If you're willing, you may be willing to listen tonight. You may be willing to sit there, but that doesn't mean you have faith. Are you willing to do what he said? William's New Testament says, if anyone is willing to do his will, he shall know about the teaching, so forth. The CEV, I don't know, I think that's the confraternity. I'm not sure. It's a Catholic Bible, I think. But it says this. 
if you really want to obey God, you will know if what I teach comes from God or from me. In other words, you'll get light about things you don't have light in if you're willing to trust him and obey. Now, he'll give you light, but he'll make it real to you. One version called God's Word says, those who want to follow the will of God will know if what he teaches is from God or if it's from his own thoughts. Your will plays a large role in your life. Your will will determine whether you're set here and whether you're lost or whether you're saved. It's be your will. The death of Jesus on the cross doesn't just save you. You've got to respond to it, don't you? Don't you have to be willing to believe it's true? Doesn't that belief come from God? Doesn't God give faith? I just spoke a while ago about the Holy Spirit opening your eyes. Faith is a revelation from God. Anybody can read the Bible, but only believers are the ones that are convinced of it. For by grace through faith are you saved, and that not of yourself, it is the gift of God. What? Grace? Of course. Faith? Yeah. No faith, no grace. No grace, no faith. It is God who brings to you the living reality of what he said. He doesn't give that to everybody, but he gives it to you. It's your passport to faith. You can take a step in his direction and have the assurance that he will lead you to the gates of glory. And you never stop going up. It's always up. It's always an upward walk. If you're willing. Well, I'm having a problem with a saved one in my family. What does the word say? Let's look at our formula here. What does the word say about lost people? What does the word say about household salvation? Anything? Well, where does it say that? Well, Acts 16, of course it says it. Where do you find it? You've got to go to the Bible. What does the Bible say? What if one of you young men, what if you want a really good job? I want a good job. I want to make a good wage so I can prepare myself and then you have some good motives why you want to prepare yourself for the next phase of your life is probably coming. You know, dun, 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 that type of thing. So you want a good job. All right. Does the word say anything about it? Or are you supposed to be poor? He says content, doesn't he? Well, that's fine. It's not a crime to be poor. But there are promises to improve that. Where are those promises? They're somewhere in the Bible, aren't they? Well, of course they are. Do you know where they are? No, well, won't you find out? That lady that came to Brother Clayton, the man I knew years ago, she and her husband were about to fall apart, just falling apart of marriage. She comes in there all ready to talk and lips quivering, and he says, now before you tell me your problem, quote three scriptures that had to deal with your problem. Give me three verses of scripture about your problem. And she couldn't quote one. And she was running to man and bypassing God. You can't get faith like that. Faith in a man, we call that psychology. They make a lot of money. But you've got to have a word here. And when you read something, you need to stay before the Lord until he impacts that word in your heart to where it absolutely is sure. Because once he does, and you have a revelation, a sure thing from the Lord, it only remains now for you to take a step out there. How would you take a step to save somebody in your family? Well, the Lord will show you that. 
Just things he shows you. One day at a time. Quit trying to do what somebody else did. Quit imitating somebody else's faith the way they got the new stove or got healed. Just do what God shows you to do. Well, so-and-so got filled when she got on her little footstool and got in front of the oven, opened the door. It was not on. And she put her face inside the oven and she got filled with the Holy Ghost, started speaking in tongues. Well, that doesn't mean you got to run home and open the door up in your stove and stick your head in there so you can talk in tongues. Talking in tongues is a gift. Is it for everybody? A lot of people are not sure about the word, so they don't have a revelation of it. Spirit of God doesn't show them anything because they're not hungry. You got to be hungry. You take the formula. You start with the word. And you pray, God, in the name of Jesus, make this word sure and steadfast to me because I'm still fearful. About, I, I mean, I don't, oh, Lord. How many of you believe that if you're hungering and thirsting after something, that God will give it to you? Or you can't just go and say, let me read the Bible tonight. Okay, I can, ain't no problem. I can do that. Well, you probably quit when the heat comes, too. Cut out some activities in your life. Quit being so easily distracted. You've got too much going on in your life. You're too busy. Just be still. What do you say about that word, be still? And no, relate to me. Commune with me. Let's come to that holy place where you just be real still. You can lay all these things out in front of you because I want you to show me. I want the Spirit of God to enlighten me. Ephesians 1, a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, the eyes of your heart being enlightened. That's a spiritual thing. Otherwise, you have eyes to see and you can't see. You're like blind leaders of the blind. You don't know where you're going. You're just having a religious meeting and a religious activity, and that's all people want. But you can't go to heaven like that. What if I told you tonight there are masses of religious people who are waiting for this so-called end-time rapture of the whole church, and they're not going to go? Religion is just another thing they've added to their life. It's not a game, but it's just an addition. It doesn't prohibit them from being foolish and doing the wrong things and being nasty and ornery in their life. They've never been taught that God is somebody you seek. This word is a treasure. It is the work of the Holy Spirit to guide you into all truth. And when he guides you in the truth and you see it, it only remains now. The question is, are you willing to do what he said? Remember Isaiah said in Isaiah 119, he said, if you're willing and obedient, you'll eat the good of the land. These things cost us something. Those who walk by faith are paying a price. The people that aren't paying the price are not walking by faith. If I'm talking to somebody here or a lot of you here tonight, so be it. So be it. Your soul is a treasure. It has great worth because it's the only soul you'll ever get. This is the only life in the flesh you'll ever live. And you pass through this world only one time and you, the Almighty God wants you to make the most of it. And you get distracted and run in all different directions. You're forfeiting all of this stuff chokes the word, 
the world does. In closing, let me say this. Go back to Hebrews 11. I would encourage you, whatever it is, money, my children, a physical problem, something that runs in the family, let's say, whether it's strokes, diabetes, alcoholism, whatever, whatever it is that you want out of this, find out what the Word says. Pray that God will impart to your heart the absolute surety and certainty of that, and then add to that your will. Because until you do that, it's just a word you heard, and he that knoweth to do good, but is unwilling to do it, to him it's what? Sin. Amen. Would you bow your head with me? Father, in Jesus' name, again, tonight, we give you thanks for your word. There's no word like your word. There's no voice like your voice. There's no joy like your joy. Grant to us to find what we're missing, to locate what's been left out, to pray for convictions. I pray tonight for those that are here, not just those who listen electronically, but those that are here tonight that none of these words will escape, that we shall know that you hold us to walk by faith and not by sight. We must live as though what you say is true and not look back, not turn back, not give up, not let go, but live like a word we heard is eternally true and steadfast. Only you can make us like that. Only you can cause us to be like that. And I ask you to cause us to do that and live that way in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.